Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 34. My name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Acton Boxborough Regional High School. Normally on Life of the School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them how they get in the classroom, what are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future. But this is the first episode of November, and November means the NABT conference. So I sat down with a couple of different groups of biology teachers to find out about their presentations that they're going to do in St. Louis. In my first conversation, I sat down with Valerie May of Woodstock Academy in Woodstock, Connecticut, Robin Baleri of Carborough High School in Carborough, North Carolina, and John Darko from Seneca East High School in Attica, Ohio. So in this conversation, we talked about their presentations in St. Louis. Welcome, Val. Hi, Aaron. Hi, and also joining us uh, from North Carolina is Robin. Hey, Aaron. And joining us from Ohio is John. Hey, how's it going, everybody? <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. So this is like, th- th- if I ever had a show that was going to go off the rails, well, actually, it's going to be the next time I sit down with Paul and uh, Ryan, the odds that we're going to have a half hour conversation that stays on topic is uh, pretty low. Um, <laughs> but here it is. It's a Sunday night. Uh, you know, we're a little bit ahead of us, but this is going to be the episode that comes out uh, the Sunday before we all head to St. Louis. Um, so I'm pretty excited. Um, so I thought I'd give you a chance, each of you guys, to talk about, you know, what it is that you're doing there. So um, in order, Thursday at 11.15 a.m., there's going to be an introductory statistics in biology classrooms. And Val, you are presenting that. You want to tell us a little bit about uh, what we're in store for in this Thursday uh, this Thursday show? Yeah, so we're going to um, pretty much start stats from the, the very beginning. Um, I think a lot of times we try to learn how to do one test or another test, but um, I think that when I first started teaching AP Bio, it was like I learned how to do pi square, which I don't, maybe I had learned back in my college statistics class or maybe not. I had no reason to know it, so I forgot about it. So I had to teach myself how to do the test, and then, of course, teaching it to students was, um, yeah, fun <laughs> when you have things that are supposed to be said in one certain way and kids are asking questions and you're just kind of spinning around and not really understanding yourself and then trying to teach it to the students as well. Um, but, and then with the new redesign, we've added um, standard deviation and standard error of the mean as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think that for AP biology teachers, we're learning how to do these tests and then we're teaching the kids how to do these tests kind of in isolation And so our workshop is really designed around starting at the very beginning, like, why do we do statistics? What's the difference between a sample and a population? And then really breaking it down of like, this is what normal distribution looks like. This is what mean is. And really looking at the relationship between all of these different statistical tests um, so that we realize they're not isolated from each other. They're they're all talking about the same thing, how to make sense of, of a set of data. Yeah, that's, um, it's really kind of interesting. I don't know if anyone else sees that the phenomenon when I do my first lab, I do the chi square, 
um, with the with the fruit flies because I did the fruit flies my first lab. And my kids want every single hypothesis to be like a null and alternate hypothesis. Mm. Um, <laughs> like I was grading labs just just today, and I I had a couple kids who were like, you know, they were writing a null and alternate hypothesis when I was just asking them, you know, like really to make a prediction and connect it to a phenomenon. As soon as you introduce these statistics, we are we're introducing them in these sort of in a vacuum a bit, um, you know, with no context of what, why we do them or where it is to take the appropriate choice of which statistic to pick. Mm-hmm. So, so this, yeah, this summer I was, I was scoring the essay um, one on the AP exam. And as I was reading through all the student responses, I just kept saying they need to do sampling and normal distribution, click and learn. They need to do this because <laughs> they're not really understanding the meaning behind the numbers. Um, and so it's really easy to to get things confused. So I, I think it'll be a good introduction, but definitely not wasted on people who have been doing the tests for a while. Um, yeah, you. Also I know. Have, yeah, I was gonna say you also have a t test thrown in there, which I know is not on our little AP test yeah. list. Not yet. <laughs> what I hear? Not oh, yet. Like, what do you know, Robin? <laughs> No, there's chatter. People chatter. <laughs> yeah. Did somebody so put I've Paul in charge? <laughs> when I looked at this, um, when I looked at the click and learn that we're going to use for a good portion of the workshop, a lot of things clicked into place for me for for standard deviation and for standard error of the mean. Uh, I I think it was just very abstract before, and then I realized like, oh, you could actually replicate this if you had a ton of time and you could sample a population 500 <laughs> times you'd actually understand what this number is representing um, yeah. so the simulation is pretty cool and then once we work through the theory with that then we'll get into lots of application with the hhmi by interactive resources and um should be a a pretty good four hours yeah it's not it's not short um oh it's not <laughs> we're, ho- uh, we're hoping we're hoping for a uh Increase in confidence level by the time and oh there it is oh yeah I, uh, are we like we're we gonna be like ninety five percent confident uh, oh bad trombones guy no we're going for ninety eight is I went to I went to the one with um, Paul Strode uh, last year and it was extremely valuable is it going to be similar to that one the um, workshop. I don't know because I wasn't at their workshop. Um, I mean, might use some of the, I mean, definitely looking at the same types of statistics um, and they might do some of the same resources. I don't think they did the normal, uh, the sampling and normal distribution activity. So they'd be different. And then uh, a new data set is going to be introduced from the, um, there's a scientist at work film on bees and, um, with this cool little gadget where they can count how many times the bees re-enter the hive. And so we're going to be working with a data set from, from that short film as well. Neat. Yeah. I, uh, I, I spent a lot of time talking about the concept of central tendency, uh, when I introduced statistics, like, well, why would we do mean, why would you do median? Why do you do mode? Mm -hmm. And then how does that tie into standard deviation? Um, I also like to tell the story when I, when I first took, uh, similar to, you know, what you described, you know, you started doing the AP and we used to do chi-square before with uh, with the fruit fly genetics. And then we got the new version um, and now I do it with uh, this. And I remember learning the statistics 
in teaching the AP, and I took a stats course myself. And I remember going to my wife, who who works as an immunologist and does labs all the time. He's always doing bar graphs and stuff like that. And I was like, well, why would you do your error bars as standard error versus standard deviation? And she's like, oh, well, they're much prettier. <laughs> There's no statistical value to them, but they're in the much prettier bars. <laughs> so so I, I always tell that to my students. They're like, but well, what does it mean? I was like, well, you do that so you can do 95% confidence interval, but it doesn't have the same meaning as it does right. when we look at that normal distribution curve. So cool. So I have a, I have a ticket that is a ticketed event and I'm pretty sure it's sold it out. Uh, it, it is sold out. I th- so. And I think they added a couple more seats and so it should be a, a nice full room. Cool. So I will, assuming my plane gets in on time and my driver can find myself into St. Louis, I'll be wheeling my luggage right into that room. Awesome. Uh, awesome. <laughs> so it'll be, I'll, I'll be uh, the peanut gallery there. So great. It'd be good if I get Paul Strode there sitting next to me. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll be uh, he'll be there. And uh, Val, I noticed when I uh, searched your name in the uh, the thing, you're doing some textbook stuff there as well, aren't you? Yep, I'm going to be at the Pearson is having a. They're calling it the Pearson Lab in the conference in the exhibit hall. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's two different times: one on Thursday, almost right after the stats workshop. Um, and one on Friday where I'm just going to sit down and chat with people about how I use mastering biology with my students. Cool. So, yeah. Cool. And, and do you have any, uh, I didn't notice if you were on the HHMI booth as well. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm giving them the four hours and the movie night. <laughs> so you'll be at movie night. Okay, good. So yeah, I've the blood. So as long as you're going there and it's going to be a completely laid back, relaxed time in St. Louis. Yeah. No work I mean, time. Friday, it's, it's all good. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That transitions us awesome to Friday. And now we can put Robin on the hot seat. And so uh, Robin at 1030, between 1030 and 1145, you're doing uh, constructing and using models to investigate ecological relationships using HHMI biointeractive resources. So uh, what can we expect in in that uh, workshop? So that's like the longest title ever for a workshop. (laughs) Um, I'll be presenting with Mark Eberhard, who's another HHMI all-star ambassador. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll be introducing and bringing back some classics of um, trophic cascades mm-hmm. and using models to um, to teach ecology. And so we'll be um, showing one of the scientists at work videos from last year's um, holiday lectures with um, Brian Silliman from Duke, which I you know love to hate. <laughs> and... Um, and talking about salt marshes and salt marsh ecology and salt marsh uh, food webs and things like that. And, um, and then we'll be doing some modeling activity. HHMI has some new um, interactive mo- modeling activities that they'll be rolling out in just in time for NABT. And then they've got some kind of, you know, paper and pencil types of modeling activities too, that we'll be, we'll be playing around with during our workshop. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm curious about the, the the storyline piece and how those how, I'm I'm looking forward to you putting those all together because I I I, <laughs> I was because uh, I think of you know I, I was actually a couple weeks ago uh, when I was like racking my brain I was teaching an evolution unit and um, you know uh, Val had put together and posted a bunch of different resources in order of HHMI stuff that she uses in evolution and it was like what? it was a total yeah, yeah. is into a unit 
Yeah, it was a whole unit, I know, because um, that's kind of what I've been doing. Um, <laughs> and so, like, as I've been looking forward sort of in this, um, you know, Massachusetts adopted these NGSS storylines. Um, so I feel like I got evolution. Valerie took care of me in evolution. Um, <laughs> so now I'm looking at these ecological resources. I'm curious how they're going to roll out in terms of um, is that sort of part of the picture of, like, how they build together to tie practices with, um, you know, the, the content of eco- ecology? Uh, so I don't know if it's a deliberate thing from HHMI to roll out things with the NGSS storyline um, on purpose, but there's certainly a number of teachers who develop the curricula who work in NGSS states. And so that's that's how things get written. Yeah. I, I work in the South where <laughs> we have NGSS and we don't speak its name. <laughs> um, but still, good practices are good practices. Yeah. And so we bring that to any presentation that we do. And so there's certainly a storyline that you can follow in any presentation. Um, Ours is, well, that we're hashing out currently, (laughs) (laughs) this idea of using various types of modeling techniques, paper, pencil, interactives, mathematical, and so on to show the relationships and the, and the interrelationships between organisms in food chains. And we happen to be featuring the food chains um, from last year's holiday lectures, which are um, salt marshes and, and river estuaries. Neat. Neat. So, so uh, and your workshop. Good. There, there's some things that are, um, some things that people will, some resources that people will be familiar with and some that will be brand new. And so we're excited to roll those out with folks. Cool. New, new HHMI stuff. That's always, uh, yeah, we love it. That's uh, always tantalizing, uh, <laughs> to roll those out. Got like wild kingdom, you know, this is a, this is a, a podcast. So people get, it's not a video podcast. So the animals crossing. I know across. they don't get to see Farmer Ted. <laughs> <laughs> he likes when I do these things on the porch. <laughs> Every once in a while, there's a tail that flashes in front of Robin's face. There he is. <laughs> so your your workshop, as I said, is uh, is from two to three fifteen on Friday. No, uh, mine's in the morning. Oh no, no, I'm looking at. So yeah, it's ten thirty. Sorry, ten thirty to so eleven forty five on Friday. You're seventy five minutes. Um, I was we jump- are brunch time. Yes. Yeah, brunch time. So right before lunch, and uh, I was actually reading the the time for John's workshop. Um, which is from two to three fifteen. Yeah, uh, which I'm pumped I can go to. Yeah, so um, so building off of the concept of modeling, John, you've got using simulations and computational models to teach scientific practices. I'm I'm shocked that that's your topic, but uh, what what can we expect in in your talk? Uh, so I'll be going over how you can use simulations. I make a variety of simulations for my students to use and kind of share them out. And my idea is to show good educational practices for using simulations and using simulations in the classroom to teach those scientific practices. Uh, oftentimes I see teachers in uh, other districts of not really sure how to use simulations in the classroom for teaching the scientific practices. So my hope is to kind of go over some of the recent research on best practices for, or what has 
shown to be effective ways of using simulations in the classroom. Um, one of the one of the ones that I think is one of the practices that I like to use that I use frequently is uh, behavior over time graph. So mm -hmm. I'll just have the students, uh, you know, draw X and Y axis and then go over some of the logic of a simulation of what are the independent dependent variables and then have them just draw a line of what they predict will happen to the behavior of, let's say, um, with photosynthesis, which will be starting next week, how is the amount of ATP going to change over time? And then have them predict that. Uh, so then they draw a line and then uh, we'll go over some information we'll discuss and we'll discuss in groups. And then I will have them uh, all perturb it a little bit. Uh, so adjust one of the variables like the pH in, <laughs> in the thylakoid and then have them draw another line say okay so now how is that going to affect the amount of atp in the system and then explain why uh you think it's going to behave that way so then oftentimes their prediction doesn't line up with uh what happens in the model and then have them explain the differences between their thinking before and what happened in the model. So uh, really trying to get at that metacognitive uh, practice of explain why you thought it was this way. Now there's some disconnect or dissonance between those two outcomes and then explain again why that might be that way. So, uh, and I'll, I'll go through several of those kinds of practices that I use for uh, teaching my simulations. The ones I'll be focusing on, uh, I'll start off with the, in the AP 2016 test, the first one is on the Long Island muscles. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have them read the original research paper for that. And then I built a simulation that kind of models that there's two alleles that behave differently in different salinities. And so I use the model along with the original research paper for discussing that, that research. And then as a assessment, I give them the FRQ, the free response question for that. And that works out pretty well. And I'll, I'll do the photosynthesis model that I have, which has a lot of details in it that can be overwhelming. And then lastly, uh, a lactase model that I have to show enzyme function. So go through... Uh, also things students can do with, uh, simulations is, you know, you can gamify it, who can produce the most ATP, the fastest, mm -hmm. uh, and then just, uh, what, uh, Valerie is focusing on of how can you use, so when you're generating data, then how can you draw conclusions from that using statistics? Uh, so you can actually do experimental science with simulations too. Yeah, you guys are all you guys are all hitting models real, real hard. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's like the unintentional theme that we we came out of here uh, <laughs> talking about that modeling in different ways, whether it's it's mathematical or whether it's computer simulation or whether it's a uh, you know click and learn or whether it's you know some sort of video that that shows the model in real life. It's it's all kinds of cool resources for modeling. 
um, this summer I was thinking about, you know, when I was thinking about the idea of modeling and changing and being challenged by various people on modeling, it made me think that like, we should maybe throw the word hypothesis out and talk about a model. We have an initial model and then a final model. Um, our conclusion is represents our what our model is after we've collected data or we've done research. And we have an initial model that starts. That's sort of where our hypothesis is. And that model either is either supported or gets moved as we go through our, our experiences, whether it's through a simulation or an actual investigation. So... Um, I think it'd be very cool to to sit down and hear that. Um, before I uh, before I let you guys go, um, so you guys are all working. <laughs> <laughs> you guys all have uh, it's a business trip for you, but you're also gonna go and uh, and, and see other people and and experience things. So, you know, aside from going to your presentation, is there anything in particular you're looking forward to about you know St. Louis? Like, wh why do you you know why do you go and Leave your families and and travel to St. Louis aside from the business trip. You know, why don't you just go in for one day and leave? What, what's worth staying there for the three or four days that you get to be there? <laughs> I'll go first. It, it NABT always hits in that in that moment when the kids are finding out that your classes are are challenging and they're going to stay that way, <laughs> and. Um, it, it can kind of be a time of year that's a little less rewarding and a little bit more emailing parents, talking to kids about when I say come for extra help, that means you, that kind of <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so it's a great time just to go and and refresh and hang out with with my my biology friends, the people who who make me the better teacher than I was you know, the year before. Um, so I come back, uh, I would say exhausted, but rejuvenated at the same time. Um, workshops are great at, at NABT. Everyone you walk into, you're, you're getting something out of it. And then, um, and just the, I wouldn't want, I don't want to call it networking because that seems very cold and calculating. Um, it, it's just, it's the, the collegiality of, of it all and um, and knowing that there's other people out there trying to do what you're trying to do as well. Yeah. Robin, you want to tell us about your tribe? Yeah, <laughs> I love my tribe. So <laughs> the thing is, my so my first NABT was, I guess, like four years ago in Atlanta. And we were required to go as part of the AP Bio Leadership Academy, second mm -hmm. cohort. And I had never been before, and Atlanta was not a not a problem for me to get to anyway. Um, and I had been to and presented at my state conference a whole bunch of times, and I loved my state conference. But it's it's small, and it's you know K twelve, and it's all the sciences, and and it's different. And then I went to NABT, not not knowing what to expect, and it was like it saved me from my, from myself, kind of. A lot of us who teach AP Bio are the only ones in our building who teach it. And we don't know that there's this whole other world of people just like us <laughs> out there. Mm -hmm. And then we just kind of found each other. And I already knew people from my leadership cohort from the summer work that we had done. So it was great to see them again. 
but then to also meet people who struggle with the same things I struggle with, who ask the same questions, who lack confidence in certain places, but who are willing to talk shop with you all the time about how kids learn and how we can better ourselves in the classroom so that our kids do better. Um, and it was, it's all of these people with different personalities and different backgrounds. And some of us have kids and some of us don't. Some of us are old and some of us are, you know, fresh faced, still kind of new at this. And it's everybody. And it's just like Val said, it's exhausting, but it's so refreshing. And you go back to your, your classroom and you might be kind of alone in your work at your school, but you have this whole other world that you can reach out to when you need it. And it's, I mean, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, just the, that you get to sit in to so many high quality sessions. And at first it seems a little overwhelming because you're trying to, uh, you see these just phenomenal teachers doing wonderful things, but then you realize uh, a lot of them are, are shortcuts to teaching students better. And they're giving you just a, a wealth of, uh, you know, shortcuts and easy methods for reaching students in, in a better way, uh, reaching students to uh, help them learn science in, in a way that you hadn't thought of before because a lot of us are in this like microcosm of our own little worlds. And then you get a national conference of teachers together and you just get uh, just the ideas of techniques is, is amazing. So I, I had a, a great, last year was my first year and I had a great time. Yeah. My first time was in Providence. So two years ago. So I was sort of in between. Um, and I would say it's, I would say hearing all the conversations and seeing all the people, um, I feel like I'm less certain about what the right way to do what I do is, but I'm more confident in what I do. Um, if that makes any sense, like seeing people take totally different approaches, um, you know, solving problems in a different way, asking, challenging me by saying, well, but why do you do this? Or, you know, oh, this is the way I solve this problem. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's, I never thought about solving the problem that way. Or I never thought about presenting curriculum in this order or using this simulation or, you know, whatever it was. Um, it makes me less certain that there's a right way for me to do it, um, which is good. Um, it, I think it makes me question and not get complacent about any particular area of my curriculum. But I, I also know that the things that I'm doing, I'm on the right path. Um, yeah, I think it's the, the in, encouraging you to constantly tinker yeah. with whatever you're doing. And it's not like, I mean, I do constantly question myself, <laughs> but not from like, a, oh, ho-hum, I, I don't know how to do this thing. But just like you just talk to people and you hear altern alternative ways of teaching things. And then you just tinker and it's this constant drive to, to be better for the betterment of your kids. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you guys all for uh, sharing what you're going to be talking about. And I'm looking forward to all of these presentations. Um, 
And uh, I'm, uh, you know, if nothing else, you know, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure an adult beverage or two will be uh, shared in St. Louis. Well, I was going to, I was just going to add that for anybody going for the first time, make sure that they go to the fun activities as well. Yeah. Because that's where, that's where you get to know people. And um, so like the movie night and um, the receptions, the reception. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard that the city museum from some students, at my school who were just there last weekend they said it was pretty incredible so cool yeah all right well i will see you guys all in st louis next i got to sit down and talk with paul strode of fairview high school from boulder colorado and ryan reardon from jefferson county international baccalaureate in irondale alabama uh welcome guys uh welcome paul yeah. Hello. And, Looks like Ryan's here. Yeah, and welcome, welcome Ryan. <laughs> yeah, you guys are you already like running off on me. <laughs> I thought you were introducing Paul. I introduced you both. <laughs> okay. Hello. So uh before we get into your talks, I do want to point out um I want to welcome uh two OBTA winners for uh this year. The we have Colorado and Alabama's OBTAs on the line. I saw that that you guys are both being awarded. So congratulations to you both. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah, I was shocked that you guys hadn't already taken it home like <laughs> years and years and years ago. But uh, I was happy to see that you guys are both getting recognized for the work you guys do. So I know I yeah. learn a lot from you guys every time I sit down with you. So seems seems yeah. unusual that I was like, wait a minute, how how have they not been recognized before? So it's about about time. But congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks. I'm kind of I'm a, I'm in a traditional classroom for the first time in a while. So I think I've been you know kind of bebopping between consulting and teaching it was kind of I, I finally mainstreamed to get in line for these types of uh recognitions oh yeah well well deserved i as i said uh you guys made my you guys my, made my nsta last year um <laughs> when oh, great. Well, it was that was a lot of fun yeah that was fun yeah that was yeah. a good time and i i was i was saying to ryan before you joined us paul that like i hear myself saying things in the classroom and thinking Gosh, Paul would be proud of that. Or <laughs> as I'm explained as I'm explaining to students about like, no, you don't have a hypothesis there. You have a prediction. Yeah. <laughs> I heard yeah, myself saying that to students. We go back and forth all the time, you know, tweeting pictures of our work on the board and yeah. what do you think of this? And it's it's really good stuff. I it's it's invigorating. Yeah, it's been great. All right, so we're here to talk not about uh, beer or uh, hanging out at conferences, which uh, we will be doing again very soon, uh, but about your talks. And so um, I had already talked to three other presenters, and now we are Friday at 2 o'clock from 2 p.m. to 3.15. Uh, there is a talk called Everything is Regulated, How to Use the Serengeti Rules, Storytelling, and the new curriculum supplement to enhance your biology curriculum. And that is being presented by Paul along with Sean Carroll. So uh, Paul, tell us what we're going to get in that talk. Well, I'm, I'm not quite sure yet, um, <laughs> but uh, I do know that Sean is going to, um, he'll, uh, he'll have a cameo. Um, and uh, what, what he and I have talked about so far is that he'll, he'll give a, a little talk about the book um, kind of his typical book talk, the writing of the book, and um, and then uh, and then it'll become a workshop. I'll, I'll the every participant will have a copy of the the curriculum supplement. They'll they'll all get books. Um, I bet Sean will probably hang around and sign them. Um, and 
And then we'll just start walking through how I have have used the supplement in my classroom so far um, in various ways. And, um, and I'll bring examples of that, um, examples of, of question sets and how I uh, work some of those, the questions I wrote into my, um, into my, my take home quizzes and my exams. Um, and, uh, and just uh, the feedback I've gotten from students of how much they love the book. Yeah. I'll have, uh, I'll have participants go through some of the questions in the supplement and, and, uh, and answer them work in groups. We'll talk about the answers. Um, maybe do a little graphing, who knows? Nice. So, um, for people who don't know, um, how is it that you ended up, and I know the background story on this, but how is it that you ended up writing this, uh, this supplement for the, this book? Um, I, I'm sure a lot of people know the book Serengeti rules, uh, by, by Sean Carroll, um, who works for, you know, who, runs the HHMI and has put out a lot of other great books and I've used those in my curriculum, but how is it you ended up uh, teaming up with, with him to, to write the supplement? So it, um, it started with um, Laura Bonetta at HHMI asking me to write the, the in-depth teacher's guide for um, the, um, the short film. Um, Oh, what's it called? Keystone species. Some animals are more equal. than Some animals. Very good. Some animals are more equal than others. And so, um, so as a, as a, to, to help me write the, the guide, she sent me um, a prepub copy of Sean's book. No one, few people knew it existed. I didn't know it existed. And so she sent me a PDF of his book and said, chapter six, you know, might help you. And, I didn't go to chapter six. I just started reading the book from the beginning. And, um, and it, it was probably somewhere within maybe the first few pages of chapter one that, uh, that I realized that the book was going to change the way I teach. Um, because he approaches, it, of course, as everything is regulated. And so, um, so when I think of, of the, 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 the famous um, Dobjansky from 1973, American biology teacher, nothing in biology makes sense except in light of evolution. Well, I've, you know, in reading this, I'm realizing nothing makes sense in biology except in light of regulation also. Um, <clears throat> and so immediately I, I, I wanted to review the book for the American biology teacher. So I contacted Liz Cowles and, and asked her if I could. Um, so I wrote a review and that came out the same time that the book came out in March. Um, of what was it 2016 yeah I think or uh, maybe it's two years ago anyway um, maybe it's 15 yeah 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 it was two years ago came out in in, in you know a year and a half year and a half ago and um, and so Sean's editor um, read the review and in the review I said some things about how um, I thought the book would make for a great supplement in both high school and college classrooms and so then uh, she wondered um, what kinds of, of uh, materials I thought would, would work. And, um, and so we talked about it and, and, and she said, well, would you, would you be willing to write that supplement? And I said, sure. Um, and so, cause I was going to be using the book anyway. And this kind of gave me a reason to do it for real and to make it good. Not just, you know, something I put together the night before I use it. Um, and so over the next, oh, uh, maybe six months or so, I, um, I worked out, I think about 95 uh, 
um, engagement questions, discussion questions, and assessment questions to go along with the book, um, along with a, um, a a summary of the book. And then I also added in um, all of the uh, NGSS, AP Bio, and IB Bio curriculum connections, um, and a um, and an example of how the book might be used in a typical biology curriculum. Um, so that's how it all worked out. Yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited. It's a it's a it's an interesting um, thought about. I used the when you said the Dubchansky quote to me, I was like, that's such a cornerstone to how I teach AP. Um, and it it does it sort of challenges of like well what are the other cornerstone ideas uh, to yeah. bring in so um, yeah mm. I'm excited to see the the whole curriculum and hear the conversations and 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 see how that how that all plays out um, yeah great yeah and uh, and so Sean's a great person will be there huh <laughs> yeah <laughs> I got to run between <laughs> yours and and John is presenting at the exact same time uh, John oh, Darko yeah. it's the exact same time which stinks oh. but um, yeah but I. Uh, and Sean Carroll is such a great uh, presenter as well. I've I, I've yeah. seen him present a lot of times, so I'm excited to sort of hear his his chime in on on this supplement and how how he sees the the book uh, as well. Well, he'll easily upstage me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Actually, go ahead. I'm actually going to use that as my uh, PLP this year, professional learning plan. One of the things that I've really tried to do is. Well, let me just back up a step. Mm-hmm. Our county is just crazy about literacy strategies. I work with a group of kids that read all the time. I mean, they're reading the things they carry right now. They just finished The Handmaiden's Tale. They're always reading, but we need to get some nonfiction inside of our little IB world. So I'm actually going to use Serengeti rules and Paul's supplement to guide an after-school book club oh, uh, wow. on the book. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I get to use my friend's work and, uh, and kind of try something I've always wanted to do, which is to lead a discussion you know socratic socratic seminar on science and i'm going to use paul's questions as the uh the springboard so i'll be i'll be like you i'll be kind of bebopping we should actually kind of coordinate so if we won't be in the same room at the same time i'll be in with paul and sean you can be with john we'll switch back and forth and then we can trade notes we'll just text back and forth throughout the whole there thing there you go yeah. <laughs> live tweet it yeah well you know the thing is that i was thinking because I, I was thinking about using it with my alternative program uh that's the sort of my my uh my sandbox right i try a lot of things out and i've read books uh with them in the past you know we read uh henrietta Lacks with them and i've read a couple other books um but the concept that i know who's going to create this uh, curriculum supplement um, and I know that we got the HHMI stuff that, you know, that can support and supplement, you know, to help with the scaffolding with those guys, um, along with other resources as well. I, I'm excited to sort of see how these questions fold out. Um, I'm a little leery about where the reading level will be, having read through the book, because it's, you know, for students who struggle to read, and I have a couple of them, um, there's just, I'm definitely have to provide a lot of support for them. I think my AP kids would crush this book, but... Um, with a kid who, as you say, talk needs literacy, literacy support and, uh, literacy is not their strong point. Um, I'm looking at these engagement questions cause I think that they'll, they'll dive into the discussions, um, and mm-hmm. it will help open up the book and open up the concepts. Well, the, there are some chapters are, are, are going to be more appropriate than others yeah. for that little kid. Um, 
the the chapter on on cholesterol regulation i had to read about three times before i understood man yeah um, and sean did a great job with with it it's 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 really complex yeah and and there's a lot of moving pieces um and so but but you know chapter six um which is basically all about uh robert payne's work and uh and the the, the sea star kick it and see um experiment trophic cascade keystone species and everything that's that's pretty easy to digest yeah and that might be the answer for me it may be a case where we we do supplemental readings we we pick two or three chapters and highlight a couple concepts but um having been through it it's it's an exciting book with Mm -hmm. so many concepts that you can use to teach and you know with a group where i'm a little bit flexible it's kind of like i could run a book club as my class um, yeah. And as, especially now that we've got the if you've done all of the you know curriculum alignments for me, um, that allows me to do a lot of that work where I can say, yep, I just replaced this unit and I replaced this unit. And now I can just, you know, use the book as my backbone for that. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that. All right. Yeah. And Aaron, you've talked about how those kids are, you know, in an alternate universe, they would be they might not all be the valedictorian, but they've just had a lot of barriers thrown in their face that make them not the right fit for traditional school. Yeah. But what an opportunity for them to sit down and talk, talk, yeah. Talk about science, talk about how the world is stitched together. That's an awesome opportunity. That might be the thing that that kid carries with them forward that pushes them in a particular direction to think a little bit more about the decisions they make about, uh, you know, yeah, the decisions they make and what they buy, what they consume, where they live. I mean, that's that's what school should be like anyway. Yeah. You know, flexibility to take a good piece of literature and dive into it and, and talk to kids. Yeah. And I've, you know, the other thing for me as a, as a teacher, and I, I don't know how many books you've taught with that are like books. The first time I pulled a book off the shelf and tried to teach it with those guys, the thing I realized is I am not an English teacher. That, um, you know, I'm a science teacher and I know how to scaffold curriculum that's from a science standpoint, but I had a really hard time diversifying my lessons based off of a book um, and using somebody else's supplement um, that I think, honestly, the supplement I was using was written by an English teacher. Um, and And I don't have those teaching chops to teach books. You know, that's not something that, you know, I, there's something I learned very quickly as I felt like, all right, now we're going to read now we're going to discuss this question. Now we're going to read and discuss this question. I felt like I was out of my depth. Uh, with this book, I feel like I have no problem bringing in, you know, other phenomena or other things like that. But also knowing that a science teacher wrote the supplement, um, there's going to be a lot of connection. So uh, I'm excited about it. So that's going to be a cool. That's going to be a, a cool learning experience for us. All right. So that's Friday. Um, yeah. and I'm sure we won't talk or see each other at all until nine o'clock the next morning, um, at, uh, Saturday That's morning <laughs> at, uh, yeah, we're going to have a, a re- rehash table on, uh, on Friday night. I think I'm sure there's a place or two in St. Louis where we can go out for uh, some ribs. Uh, Plus, there's Night at the Movies with Sean. So oh, it's, that's it's, right. It's that's Night at the Movies is Friday night. So yeah, absolutely. We'll do Night at the Movies. So we'll see Sean again then. Yeah. Um, and then Saturday morning. You, they gave you guys the awful early slot of 9 a.m. <laughs> Is that really 9 a.m.? Yeah, that's what I pulled out of the thing. 9 a.m. to 10.15. Uh, right. Teaching a high school research course with uh, Paul Strode and Ryan Reardon. So yeah. what are you guys talking about in this uh, this 75-minute session? Well, I'll let Ryan take it because this was his great idea. Ha! 
at what point did I have that idea? Well, I'll, and I'll pick, I'll, I'll kick it back to Paul. So I'm about to soapbox Aaron. So get ready. <laughs> the recorder so goes, I, the recorder goes for yeah, several hours. So don't worry about it. Um. <laughs> so Paul and I back channel a lot. Uh, when Facebook stuff is flying around when when, uh, conversations happen, you know, we'll just, I might call him or we might text and I'll be like, what is the deal, man? What are these people talking about? And, and I'm always up, you know, I'm the, I'm the judgmental one. I'm the guy that's like, I'm going to fire off and I just kind of back off. But something Paul said to me last year, I think it was, or maybe the year before really resonated with me. He said, I'm just trying to do fewer things better. And I was like, that is the money right there. That's the goods. We got to forget about, well, we don't want to forget about curriculum. We don't want to forget about content, but we have to do fewer things better. I could, Speaking personally at my school, and I was uh, telling Paul about this last night, I've got a lot of kids that know a lot of stuff, but they're not very good at making connections between that stuff and their science practice skills are almost non-existent by the time they're seniors because they've just, they've sat, they've been told, they've been kind of conditioned to listen, to perform, to regurgitate, to analyze and do a very specific thing for a teacher. And, you know, you can, I'm pretty frustrated, not only in my building, but also kind of in my career as looking at that has to change. We have to somehow get away from the altar of content and go back to what science is all about, which is asking questions, constructing hypotheses, you know, collecting data uh, within an elegant experiment in order to support or falsify a particular hypothesis and just, you know, figure out what's going on. And, and so that's, that's a long way of saying, I remember looking at my student body at my school and saying, these kids know a lot of stuff, but they don't know how to do anything. And so I started a research class to address that problem. And whenever somebody gets on a, an ABT or AP bio Facebook page or forum and says, well, I'm thinking about an elective to do X, Y, or Z. I always, I'm, I'm going to be the guy that needle in there and say, well, what does your department really need? Where are the holes and how can you fill it? And so that's what I've tried to do with my kids. I mean, honestly, looking at some of my STEM focused kids who put a science fair project together that put a poster up to be judged by external evaluators and don't even have labels on the axes. That's a problem to me. And so I saw that I, I didn't run, but I walked down the hall to my director. I said, can I please start a class in order to teach these essential skills so that these kids can live into their potential. And, uh, with her blessing, she said, yes, you know, we started, uh, she asked for a paragraph or two synopsis of what I wanted to do. And then basically gave me free reign to do what I wanted inside of my classroom. And so what I've done over the past five years is develop a class where kids can kind of get away from the noise of curriculum, get away from the noise of content, get away from the stress of tests and homework and just create a, a lab space where we can really dive into one particular problem, break it down to its nuts and bolts, collect some data, analyze it in real time, and then graphically represent the data that we collect, analyze said data, and then write about what we think happened. Mm -hmm. And we do that. It's an iterative, it's, 
I think it's beautiful. It's iterative, which a lot of students, teenagers don't really get, but this opportunity to do something and do it again and do it again and, and build a skill uh, portfolio as they progress through my class, it's just been fun to watch. And then each year, the class kind of morphs, not only based on my own interests, but also on the strengths and weaknesses of the kids. Uh, and so here I am looking at it year five. I met Paul about two and a half years ago. We've done some talks together for HHMI that's really helped influence the way I think about uh, quantitative reasoning and computational thinking. So that's become a fulcrum in my class in terms of leveraging how I want the kids to learn. Uh, so we spend a lot of time teaching basic math, not basic math skills, but computational reasoning, quantitative analysis, and biostatistics in that class, because that's the place where I can really push that envelope. Yeah. Uh, and what's been fun for me is when those kids come back to me in Ivy Bio as seniors, they've got the foundation so I can push them even further. And so to that end, that's what I'm going to talk about. That's going to be my piece of it is taking these ninth and 10th graders with a desire, but no real, the, a desire and aptitude, but no real place to develop that aptitude. And that's what I've created in my school. And so I'll get 30 or 40 kids a year that can come in and learn how to do science, think about science, collect data, write about data, and then move through our program. Wow. So that's, that's my piece. And what I think, what I see, and I don't want to put words in Paul's mouth, but he's got the back end. He's got the older kids that are a bit more sophisticated. At least that's been my perspective. He'll probably contradict me. But uh, I think we have a real nice continuum. So I'm going to talk about how I work with ninth and 10th graders. And I think he's going to, I, I can't wait to hear how he works with these older kids. And one more thing, and I'll shut up. A ninth grader is just a middle school kid with a different label. You know, that's like, that's what I've learned in three years. You get a ninth grader in there, they don't know anything. Yeah. What I tell you when we got, I talked to you earlier today, Paul, I said, it's amazing how much we forget how little these kids know when they're in ninth and 10th grade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I said that to him earlier today. But you can get them to do a T-test. Yeah. You can get them to do a Russian analysis. You can get them to do anything. If yeah. they can add and subtract and divide, multiply and square, they can do all those things. Yeah, and it's so much fun to develop them, Yeah, you know. And uh, the conversations around the data, the looking at those pockets of knowledge and those gaps in their knowledge are so fun to plumb. And I can do that in my research class. And those are the types of stories I'll be telling and I'll be introducing uh, my colleagues to my students and talk about why I teach this class the way I do. Hmm. And then the idea is to push them to uh, extramural science competitions and have them, you know, take those skills on to college. Neat. And so what are you, what are you going to bring with those older kids, Paul? Well, so, so, so Ryan's class is what's missing at my school and my class is what's missing at Ryan's school, I think. Um, because, um, I get so 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 my my class is called Science Research Seminar and and it actually was in it was a, a class that was created in 1998 after a bunch of district parents um, complained to the district that um, that we didn't have much representation at all in uh, in the the local and state science fairs um, and you know Boulder is full of national labs we've got the University of Colorado there's no reason why we can't we we can't have students doing um, authentic science in high school. And so, um, so a, a course was created back in 1998, and I showed up in 2004 
um, and uh, and started teaching the class at Boulder High School in 2005. Um, and uh, and I, I took seriously what what the, the the goal of the course was, and and the goal was for students to do authentic scientific research, where where they come up with a, a an original question and they take it all the way to the finish line. Um, now it requires them to to uh, find a mentor to help them um, get to that finish line, um, and and that mentor could be someone as simple as me, um, could be a parent, or it could be um, it could be a PI in a lab at, at the University of Colorado. Um, but uh, the goal is for them to, to, to take a, a, a research project from, from start to finish. Um, and, but, but what's missing for me is them coming in with some, some good research skills that they would, would learn and develop in a class like Ryan's. Um, and, uh, and so, so I, I think um, what, what, what I bring to this class is um, science literacy. Um, we, we do a lot of practice communicating science. Um, the kids choose uh, papers that, that are related to the, the, the research they're interested in. And, um, and then they'll, they'll present those papers to each other and, and we'll practice. Um, we'll practice presenting figures, practice talking about statistics and just practice with um, this whole new language of science that these kids are learning. Um, and uh, and it's, it's really fascinating to watch them, um, you know, mention language. They, they, they literally speak a different language by second semester. Um, and and it's, it's really fun to watch that, that transition happen. Um, they then present their work at, at our, our regional science fair. They might qualify for the state science fair. We have a, um, an event called the District Science Symposium, which I came up with um, in that first year where I was teaching, where I thought, um, well, if they're presented at the science fair with posters, they should also be giving a 12-minute talk like they would at a professional meeting. Um, so they do that. And then um, I don't know what other teachers, we, we, we have this class at several of the high schools, and, and, um, and I'm not exactly sure what other teachers do with the class, but but I have my students then write a, a scientific paper following the instructions to authors of, of a, a, a journal that would be a likely journal they would submit in, um, because I want them to, to, to finish, you know, to, 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 um, to get to that, that sort of ultimate um, place where they're communicating their work in a written way and trying to build new scientific knowledge. Um, and so, uh, so, Ultimately, they would they would submit those papers, and, um, and only occasionally that has happened. Um, but uh, but at least they 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 get that experience of um, of writing that manuscript. So, so so do they submit to like the Journal of Experimental Secondary uh, Science or you know one of those type of high school focused journals? Or are they aiming higher than that? Oh, they're they're aiming higher. They'll 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 follow the instructions to authors for the journal Ecology or um, for Physics Letters or something like that. Um, now it's rare that they ever actually submit the paper, um, and when they do, it's often with with the mentor. Um, so it's often some co-authored paper because um, because they don't for 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 those kids that are working in a lab. Um, there's there's the whole issue of intellectual property and everything. Um, so they don't really own their data. 
um, and there's an agreement with them and the and the PI in the lab or the or the postdoc, the grad student that that they're presenting data that 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 may end up in a paper someday, um, and that they can be a co-author on, um, but they need to they they can't submit anything that they've written without the permission of everyone else that's been involved in generating the data. Yeah. But what Paul is not telling you, if I may, <laughs> is that these kids, when they stand before a judge at a regional or state science fair, are incredibly articulate about what they know and don't know. Their, their ownership of the project they're presenting is second to none, which pushes them to that next level which gets them to Intel and other, other, and other uh, extramural competitions because Paul's pushing them to write, to think about what they're writing. What's kind of fun, full circle. I, went, I, was a, I was a product of Boulder Valley School District, you know, so I went to Boulder High where Paul started his career in Colorado. And I remember Ms. Goldberg taught us, no thought is crystallized until it's written down. And so Paul's actually, you know, He's getting his kids to crystallize what they know and don't know through writing so that when they present, they're solid. And that's a that's such a great skill. In fact, I I kind of watched what he was doing in Boulder just through, you know, talking to him and, you know, through social media and trading pictures. And I've moved from the mini poster idea, which is a great idea, to having my kids give a 12-minute talk in class on their original research. And it's just been such a pleasure to watch a ninth or tenth grader stand up, present their data, talk about their data, talk about the context of the data and talk about limitations of their experiment. And it's, 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 it's my course has evolved because of my uh, relationship with Paul. My course has evolved because I'm never satisfied with what my kids are, can do. And uh, ultimately I want to get to where Paul is, you know, if he needs that middle piece, then we just need to meet in the middle. I guess that would be like, Oklahoma. Well, Oklahoma, but you lost your wallet. <laughs> and we can figure it out. We can start the Strode Reardon School. Yeah, right? Jim but, is uh, bike riding every day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, Paul's a runner. I mean, we can meet St. Louis and figure it out. Yeah. We can start a school in St. Louis. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it makes me think as I'm hearing you two guys, and I do not teach a research course, but, you know, there's elements of what you're talking about that I've worked to embed within my honors curriculum, embed within my AP curriculum. Um, there are aspects of what you're talking about that I have in my curriculum and it makes me ask the question, where are the gaps? Um, so I think that even for those who don't have a research course, I think it's, it's good pushing about what it is that our kids can do in the classroom. Um, and you know, what's more important, what they know or what they can do. Um, and how this looks sort of on that extreme end. When you have the ability to really push them on research, what does that look like? And where is the inquiry? What I call inquiry in my class, where is it? Is it, mm-hmm. how genuine is that inquiry? Is it inquiry in the true sense where I'm helping to build the skills along that inquiry continuum to, to, a, to kids who could go on and ask their own questions? Or am I, am I calling it inquiry and it's something that's not? Don't do not make light of what you're doing because yeah. that backend stuff that you're working on, when you have a data set, whether it's on something as straightforward as transpiration under different water potential regimes, or whether it's mm-hmm. I mean, think about the beauty of a satellite colony around a transformed cell, those opportunities and those patterns give you an 
access to questions and you get the kids to think and discuss and talk. I think what I've seen in my, from my perspective on AP and IB bio or you know, gen ninth grade honors bio, that curriculum does drive the course, but you can pick and choose where you help with the sense making. And it's those back end questions that are so damn important for our kids. And so that's, yeah. that's, that's going to kind of be my, I'll be talking about it on Saturday. I'll be talking about it on Thursday and Friday night. And we have to find the space to help our kids think about what they know and don't know. Yeah. I, I see Paul rubbing his head. I can't, <laughs> I wonder what's on that in his brain right now. <laughs> well, you know, I think what, what, what all science teachers can do is at least have their students once during the, the, the course, write a scientific paper. Um, modeling it after after a, an actual published peer-reviewed scientific paper so that they can they can get away from the the, the, the typical lab report which doesn't exist outside of high school um, the, the, the the internal assessment in the IB world doesn't exist outside of the IB world mm -hmm. um, but but what exists are scientific papers and and so um, so at least once during a course I think that that all students should 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 Use a scientific paper as a mentor text and try and do that. Try and and, and write up um, a, a paper that looks like it, that reads like it, with 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 some cool analyses. Um, I just think that's that's something that all students should should uh, exit high school with a skill. Yeah, yeah, and I also think that you know challenging them at points along the way, even when you're doing those smaller building pieces. You know, I was just thinking of the conversations I was having with students when they ran some drafts of their labs. And I went to the kid and I said, what story does this graph tell me? Mm -hmm. you, you graphed all this data. You took all the trials. You graphed every single trial is graphed as a bar. What kind of, what kind of, you know, what information do I learn by looking at all these trials? <laughs> um, and the answer was, I don't know. And I was like, all right, well, what would tell a better story? And that conversation right there about data has meaning, graphs have meaning, figures have meaning, is something that sometimes we're in a rush to cover content, but we got to slow down and realize the skill piece is an important one. Yeah. Did you see my post yesterday? Somebody, you know, was asking about how to structure a course and, oh my yeah. God. I mean, it's a great conversation. It's yeah. a great conversation, but I had to get in there and needle and say, it doesn't matter <laughs> if you're not teaching skills along the way. Yeah. Learning is contextual. Yeah. You know, let's go back 500 years. You know, we learn. It's silly. The yeah. whole idea of like, I don't want to, it's just silly. It has, I don't think it has to be because I don't like those absolutes. I'm a biologist. I'm a relativist. Yeah. I find that my kids learn best when they're, when the learning is in context. Mm-hmm. I started on light dependent reaction today with, with a great group of kids. And one of my most studious, you know, genuinely interested in science kids goes, what lab are we going to do to learn this? I said, remember that photosynthesis lab we did where we put light on the plants and they took up CO2. That's the lab we did. And we're yeah. just trying to figure that out because there's a lot of steps yeah. in a perfect world. DPIP reduction, loading leaves with oxygen, and then carbon sequestration with a whole with a whole leaf, but I don't have time for that. So I have to I have to make those le help them make those intellectual leaps. Yeah. But uh, it's content. It's it's activity before content. ABC, 
and then the learning becomes contextual. Nice. All right. Well, uh, gentlemen, I, I am so looking forward to St. Louis. Not that I wasn't looking forward to it before, but, you know, uh, just sitting down with you guys, this reminder that, you know, we're going to be in St. Louis before you know it. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm flying out Thursday morning. I'm, uh, I'm going going right into Val's stats course. <laughs> oh, right so, on. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see each other there then. Yeah. yeah free I got, lunch. I got the ticket there and the lunch. Are you there, there too, Ryan? Well, I'm going to go grab a bite and uh, <laughs> go bug Jennifer. Ryan's, yeah, Ryan's going to crash. <laughs> well, we'll be we'll all be in St. Louis and then uh yeah, I'm I'm super excited about it. I I feel like I've been it's you know, the fall is a grind. You know, it's all these all these things I've been working on, all these things I'm going to do and you know, sometimes you need that time to step out of your classroom, step out of your own head, step out of your own projects and go listen to what other people have to say and uh you know, knowing the people I know who are going to St. Louis, I can't wait to go and, and hear what everyone has to say. And, you know, I'm going to have to pin somebody down and interview a, interview somebody when we're in St. Louis because I'm going to need another episode in the can before I leave. But uh, <laughs> other than that, it's going to be an enjoyable time listening to, to what yeah, everyone has and, to say. And I would say to your listeners, take a risk. Find something that you don't know that well and go to that session and uh, just be a newbie. Be a newbie somewhere along, the, uh, along your content knowledge and just – Take a risk, learn something new. Yeah. It's going to be a great conference. Yeah. It's no fun if you're not learning. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for joining me. Um, you are at the end of the episode, so you get the, the credits. Uh, if you like this show uh, and would like to become a patron of the show, we do have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash lots. Uh, and if you become a reoccurring uh, Patreon to this show, you get invited into a secret community of discussions with uh, contributors to my podcast to John Darko's uh, creations or to David Kanufke's blog. If you, if you contribute to any of our, uh, our side work, there's a community of educators who talk a secret community. Uh, so that's that music for this episode. And every episode is by Jenk Jenkins and X magicians. You can subscribe to this on Apple podcasts or really any place that podcasts are found. Um, also you can get show notes or any information, the things we've talked about at life of the school.org. So thank you, too, for joining me, and thanks to Val and Robin and John for talking to me in the first half of the show. And I hope to see everybody in St. Louis, and I'll talk to you all soon. We're actually going to green screen the talk together because we're not going to be in the same room. We can't stand each other. So Paul will do his and it'll be in another room where I'll do, I'll kind of chime in.